a lot of these brands are embracing evolution as part of the process. And then what that does is it enables them to do what they can in the present, but with a constant eye on why we're all doing this, like keeping the goal in mind. We're the Majority Group, and this is Style as Identity, where we profile the designers and founders whose mere existence shifts our understanding of the style status quo. We're your hosts. I'm Lola Catero. And I'm Frankie Quasim. And after years of settling for style that didn't represent us, we set out to find the brands that did. Join us each episode as we learn from brands that are an extension of their values, identity, and aesthetic. And because of them, we're seen and represented. Four brands, two from Mexico and two from India. Three work with artisans. Together, they show us the nuance and different ways culture, heritage, and tradition can show up and be represented, all while evolving for the world and people of today and tomorrow. If you haven't listened to the last four episodes, six through nine, we encourage you to and get to know the founders of Someone Somewhere, Carla Fernandez, Jaywalking, and Prakar. In this episode, Frankie and I reflect on these brands setting new standards. Now, one thing I love about these brands is that they all prioritize sharing knowledge as much as they prioritize gaining it, because we believe that is the beauty and the key to collective evolution. Let's reflect. Follow along. Text HERITAGE, that's H-E-R-I-T-A-G-E, to us at 833-495-4773. And this info can be found in our show notes. Lola. Frankie. Ah, it's always so good to see you. You too. Ah, it's us today. Just us. It's just us. You're all stuck with us. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're reflecting. We are Carla, Nuno, Jay, Prakar. Yeah. Today's the day we reflect on them all. Yeah. And all of them relate to heritage, which is the theme. So we'll be talking through that. And something that we have always prioritized here at the majority group is learning. It's so core to who we are. It's like a pretty big part of why we're doing this whole thing. Learning. (laughs) Just can't get enough of it. And right away, Lola and I couldn't help but notice that a lot of the brands that we talk to as part of this theme prioritize sharing knowledge as much as they prioritize gaining it and giving back out what they internalize and what they learn. So they do do that, don't they? But all in kind of in different ways that feel like it happened naturally to them. Like they don't have like a give back program on their website that lists 10 bullet points of things they want to achieve by 2030. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Please, if you have that, we support you and hope you achieve those goals. Keep on keeping on. Yeah. But yeah, even just talking with the last four brands that did come through, like they just naturally have curious minds. You could tell they want to better themselves and their understanding of the world and then giving it back. Like someone somewhere, I think Nuno was talking about how when they were trying to fundraise or, you know, get support for launching their brand, he was like... People pushed back and said, you can't have artists and created things and it can scale and do all this stuff. It's never happened before. And he's like, okay, like then he showed us that you can. And now as a result of their work, 
they're a case study for other brands to do the same. And that is a way that they've extended and shared their learnings and how to do it and really created like a playbook for that. Yeah. And his own way, like you called out Jay from Jaywalking mentors people. And he told us about these talks that he'll hold almost daily. They're on YouTube. Yeah. You can check them out. <laughs> you can see them on YouTube mentoring people, sharing what he's doing, the scrappy and learning from people in the audience. Yes. Learning from people. So again, there's that like, I'm here, you're here. We're learning and almost like sharing the wealth, sharing the love, not keeping our wins and our losses to ourselves and making sure other people can access them. That's true. You know, Carla also does it in a different way too. I mean, she has a manifesto that they've held themselves to and is really open about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and gives us all access and exposure for when we want to build something too and just learn from it. So, And as you were talking about Carla, I think that something that is unique to them too is that they commit to something and then they report out on it. And they close that loop, but they also keep it going. Mm -hmm. It's not like, hey, we committed to this at the beginning and now it's how you recognize our brand. It goes beyond that. It's we committed to this. It's who we are. And now we're going to keep you up to date on how we're doing it, what we're doing and what we're learning. And I think it's so refreshing to see that and feel like we're part of their process, not just learning from it, but we can follow along as well. And what stands out to me is that it's so unique for brands, especially brands at their scale with such global recognition to be feel like they're learning on a world stage. They're not just, I mean, yes, out of the kindness of their hearts, they're giving us this knowledge, but I think it takes a bit of guts. Like you said, Nuno's doing something for the first time. It takes some guts to do it for the first time and do it in such an openly perceived way. I'm really grateful for that. That's interesting. Yeah. Hearing you talk about that make me think back to the conversation with Nuno and Carla and their missions are really clear and it's almost like they've acknowledged it's bigger than them. And so inviting people in and learning together, it's not even like theirs to own. And that really seems to kind of come through now, like hearing what you're saying and reflecting on the conversation we had with them. Which is really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember Carla using the exact word collective. And it felt like you said, she recognized that it's not hers to own. And also she can't do it alone. And so by bringing people in, it almost makes me feel like, okay, I can find my part in this. You know, it might take some time, but I can find it and I can do it. The knowledge is there. Totally. The pursuit pursuit. <laughs> okay. One thing I definitely have been reflecting on and wanted to bring up is how a lot of the people we talk to, a lot of the brands use their techniques to tell stories. And like what I love about someone somewhere is their pieces, their t-shirts, their garments tell stories of today and the past. And oh my God, you had said something about like threading stuff together, but it was so poetic, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Now you have this like living history in a garment and Carla's is similar in kind of creating this history. Prakar's with his prints. I mean, yeah. Prakar was really interesting there for me because he, you know, he has, he's like very artistic kind of by nature and that's clear, but he also has such an innate sense of like who the audience will be like when the hundreds 
and them did a collaboration and he was thinking through like the icon of that brand, which is the tiger. And then what icon he would choose. And he chose the peacock, which is the national animal of India. And then the hundreds was like, cool, we have no notes. Like this is perfect. And the thoughtfulness there. And, you know, I think the way he applies his artistic talent doesn't hurt how he creates that is also just like aware of who the consumer is and what they would be interested in while also not losing sight of the story he's telling by creating that garment. And like, I didn't know that about the peacock and Mm -hmm. now I do. And I appreciate that I have learned that through him. Yeah. And when you say learn that through him, it feels like, well, earlier, the weaving, threading, yeah, I couldn't help myself. I mean, they're quite literally, when people think about telling stories, and sharing, almost taking people to a place that you have either been or spend a lot of time in mentally, and then doing that and documenting it via clothing the same way people might do it with a book or with a podcast. And doing it in the way that people show up and express themselves is really cool. And then like you said, then you kind of learn the story behind something that you made or something that you're wearing. And I think it's a really good way for us to share something or for these brands to share things that are special to them or share things that are special to their history and their culture in a really rich way and a giving way. It's Mm -hmm. like, I'm giving this to you in the form of something you can wear and then share with others. Like someone might notice it. Half the time I see you, Lola, I'm always like, where'd you get that? (laughs) And now when you answer that, it's like, let me tell you about the peacock. Exactly. And then I know, and then maybe I talked to someone else about it, but I think that's really cool. And then Jay actually talks about stories towards the end. He talks about stories, stories that he got from his grandmother and how those are what she had to give and how important that was to him and his family to come and sit by her and listen to those. It feels pretty connected to this aspect of storytelling. It wasn't in the clothes, but it is something that influenced him and he could then pass on. Totally. And the interesting thing about Jay was his techniques aren't telling a story in the same way that these other brands are, but the way he uses tools, you know, when he launched his brand, limited resources, can't just like go do this, you know, high budget photo shoot and stuff, but he's like, what do I need to do to get this out here? Use the resources at his disposal and was true to himself. He didn't try to do something or be someone that he wasn't. And it was really well received. I think people recognize that. And so I think the way he uses resources and tools, like reset the stage of helping articulate, especially within the Indian fashion landscape of how to build a brand. And there's several ways to do it. And this is one way of doing it. And I think that kind of retells the story we've been told about how to build a brand. I mean, I think in the US over the past few years, I've seen brands kind of spin up and all of this stuff and that's interesting. I'm like, oh, like, you know, what does it take? You know, it's not necessarily like, oh, got to get funding and all of these things. And so I think the more we see different ways of doing things opens up possibilities for what we can do. I love possibilities. And opening up possibilities is something that these brands, even if they're not spelling it out, feels pretty much like a natural part of their missions. And we could say right now, they're all part of the same theme, but they all have different missions and they all bring their communities, however they define them, with them in the pursuit of that mission. And you had what I appreciate as a very great observation. So I'm going to just cue you up for that. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I've been talking about Abercrombie, everybody. Yep. Um, it's on the brain. It's on the brain. Back to 2007? Like too recent and too long. You know, yeah. it's like, it's nice did it mix. happen? I wish it didn't. So I don't know if anyone caught the Abercrombie documentary that came out semi-recently called White Hot. And one of the things that stuck with me about the rise of Abercrombie was how they sold exclusivity. And it's really smart tactic, and they were unapologetic about it. And I think for a period of time, it made their brand or sales stronger, as the data would indicate. And what I think is interesting to note a shift in the landscape today is this movement from exclusivity to inclusivity. And I think the brands we talked to. They all exemplify that, but without taking the word inclusivity and using it to mean trying to be everything for everyone. And I mean, we're seeing this with brands like Telfar, like their literal tagline is not for you, for everyone. And with the brands we spoke with, we're like, who's your audience? Who's your community? And it's all like, hey, we're going to create garments and pieces that are true to us. And if you vibe with it, dope, like, welcome, here you are. But they're not trying to kind of yeah, go through like checking the boxes of every single thing. They're trying to be true to who they are and whoever's into it gets to participate. And I think that is a way of being inclusive in a very authentic way without having to say it a million times. Yeah. They're not going to gatekeep people out as a means of hacking demand. Like that's not their thing. They're like, we're not going to just try to back our way into this by making it feel like there isn't enough to go around, but they're also not trying to have their logo have a ton of us holding hands (laughs) and say, we promise it's this, like you said, this really truthful, honest, firm, just constant revisiting of who they are and saying there's more than enough room for people to sit with us and be part of this. And when we were talking to Nia, we talked about types of currency and it does kind of feel like in white hot. And also I'm so fake because I haven't seen it yet, but Lola told me about it. Um, (laughs) And I saw the trailer. Um, So there's that. It does feel like in white hot, like exclusivity is a form of currency because It feels like something that people, or at least the gate is of like, I can let you in and you're going to want this. And therefore we're having people invest their resources in being a part of this almost at expense to them. And then some people can't do it, which no, this is not what we're seeing as a lot of these growing brands are almost taking their share of the reins in fashion, which I think is really cool. I was just thinking about how Jay has a lot of opinions here and it was You know, he's like, I'm a plus size guy, so I make things that I can wear. We're asking him about the labels that the media has put onto the brand, like plus size, size inclusive, unisex, all this stuff. And he's like, I don't actually use any of those. I'm just kind of, (laughs) I'm just doing stuff I can wear. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Like labels are important. They help us understand and provide context and all that kind of stuff. But I also totally see what he's saying. He's Mm -hmm. like, just look at it and then you'll see it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think there's like an interesting friction there within the industry of like, okay, I'm a consumer. Maybe I want to buy a shirt that's a certain size. Will this brand provide this for me? And labels can help expedite that search and process. But then I think to Jay's point, it's really obvious when brands are just trying to like check boxes or try to be inclusive without actually being inclusive. If it's for you, it's for you. And 
we talk about this inclusivity, exclusivity in this format, but I think we can also talk about other forms of inclusivity really quickly in the ways that for the brands that work with artisans, they're including people who have not been traditionally included in the manufacturing process have been kind of skipped over. They're including them now as part of the process. And that's another form of inclusivity of just thinking about like who we can benefit from and learn from. And Picard talks about how his process is very slow, but intentional, and it just feels right to him. And so that's something that I also really appreciated hearing about. And then there's also this aspect of inclusivity that I think both Carla and Nuno kind of talk about where we're adding dimensions to the identities that are represented in fashion in all kinds of ways. And I think that's something that really speaks to me about this theme, taking it back to heritage, to culture, to history of a lot of our fashion that we see that's celebrated has been led primarily... One lens. <laughs> yeah, one lens. We can say Western. <laughs> we, can, we can do that. <laughs> Through like this Western lens of beauty and with how much these stories and the history telling and sharing that's being done through these brands and their garments, we're kind of expanding the lens or at least changing it out here and there so that more people get to be a part of what fashion means. So, you know, sit with that, you guys. Yeah, I'm sitting, I'm <laughs> sitting and I'm with it. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit with Nuno and a little bit with Carla about innovation and the industrial revolution and the impact that change has and who gets left in, blah, blah, blah. And in today's world, especially the tech industry, right, we're all about like disrupting this industry, we're erupting this, blah, blah. And it's cute, you know? <laughs> There are unicorns, but I think what all these brands do in their own way, they are totally evolving the spheres and what we're exposed to and how we're exposed to it and expanding our understanding of style, who gets to participate. And it's an act of defiance just by them existing. We didn't acknowledge this yet about Prakar, but in the episode, we talk about how a lot of textiles and clothing is made in India. Influences come from Western aesthetic, whatever, and then sold back to people living in India and people in the U.S. that are getting these garments that were actually made in India. And through Prakar's collaboration with The Hundreds, it is an example of a U.S.-based streetwear brand that saw Prakar and was like, oh, let's collaborate. So now his lens and his world and what he creates is now influencing the U.S. market and consumer. And it's actually quite profound and worth noting. It seems that doesn't happen every day. Yeah, I really think my world has been expanded in that way of just seeing the ways in which very much what you said, existing is an act of defiance, but it's not just about existing it's definitely about existing, but it's also about the ways in which, like you're saying, their process and going about things does disrupt. For a lot of them, like there's no previous script or formula for what they're doing. They're kind of just like, okay, I didn't see it. I'm going to create it. Or I need it. I'm going to create it. Or I see something that means I really have to create this. And, you know, people will join me on the way. But it goes to show that style fashion, it is something that we can 
build on that can be quite powerful when explored and used in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And so much of the way we process style and fashion is through ads, through fashion weeks, through watching people. And I think that that creates this almost kind of distance as, oh, that's just something that we can either look at and appreciate if it's really luxury high-end or, you know, wear out. But the way in which they create something that unlocks a world for us in a form of expression that's very wonderful, but then also use it to leave a footprint and Mm. change things that they're like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't Mm. like that. Like that, I think, just adds a lot of texture to how I personally see fashion. It makes me reflect on the all of the previous episodes under the theme of gender, now heritage, mm-hmm. and it brings up the word of conviction for me. You know, when these brands have a core belief, goals, like a specific goal to achieve, that is the journey that they are passionate about pursuing. And like Carla, Carla's been in the game for decades. Oh my gosh, old school. And... You know, there's different levels of acknowledgement for her as a brand from different spheres and entities. And it's just so clear that the goals are aligned with achieving the change they want to see in the world, if we want to kind of get cheesy like that. But like, it's so aligned with that. And that enables people like Carla's brand to operate for decades. And then when the world starts to catch up, everyone's like, oh, hey. Hey. Can you join us on our podcast? Yes. Yeah. And so I think that that is worth acknowledging too, is like starting a venture, what's going to sustain you in that venture and what conviction will keep you going and actually creating the impact that you truly, truly want to leave your mark on. So you say sustain and it kind of brings to mind a few things. One is this like constant evolution because sustaining is a quite optimistic word, or at least a word that gives us room to know that there's going to be a future and we're going to be a part of it, whether it's based on like what we're doing right now, or what we're going to do later. And it is really important. I think it takes us back to the fact that they are very much embracing the evolution part. And Jay talks about not being the final logo. I think I might've actually just repeated that back to him as something that I've seen. His tagline is, this is like not the final logo. Yeah, not the final logo. Yeah, right? yeah. I think that a lot of these brands are embracing evolution as part of the process. And then what that does is it enables them to do what they can in the present, but with a constant eye on why we're all doing this, like keeping the goal in mind. That's really cool. It removes a fear of exposing the failure. Yeah. And I think that is a big difference. Something that came out to me in Prakar's story that I just thought was like good to note his favorite animal. We talk about it. Listen to the episode. I'll tell you what it is and where he found it. And, um, okay. I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It was the first time he saw a tiger at a zoo as a kid and nothing remarkable happened at all. And what I love so much about that is like as an artist or a designer, we don't need to have these kind of aha moments that are like poetic to have inspiration or like remember something profoundly And I think we like romanticize this often. And sometimes we do have these beautiful stories, but like sometimes we just go to a zoo and see a tiger and and we're like, I'm shook. I'm shook. I got to make a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Got to make 10 shirts. It's like, that's what it's about. It's what connects with us when it connects. And we don't get to choose that. 
No, we don't get to choose it. But from what you just said, it was beautiful, by the way. We don't get to choose it, but it is nice to be receptive to it or at least have our eyes open. Shout out to Lilith. (laughs) Have our eyes open enough that we can receive those moments when they happen. Because you're right. Like, I think a lot of times I'm like waiting for inspiration to drop when if you're just really listening, observing to what speaks to you, no matter how plain it is, you can make it into something. And speaking of reshaping, something that I loved was how Carla talked about the technique and the craft of the artisans that she works with. And she went really back to the physical nature of the work they do, talking about their hands, their bodies. And Carla's a poet. Carla is a poet. And these are her words. That is the revolution, like reintroducing our bodies, hearts, stories, and techniques back into the process. It's such a contrast to the mass machinery and factory conditions we've observed that dehumanize the way our clothes are made. What it made me think of is we're talking about this almost manual reshaping or creation of something, like you said, as an act of defiance to something that was almost changed years ago that has had a lot of effects to how we do things now. And the way we're fighting it is through fashion, but also with our bodies. And I think a lot of times when we think about like fighting something, the narratives that are told are the quite physical ones of, you know, like we put them down. They're violent. Violent. Thank you. Exactly. But this is also physical, but it's a different kind of fighting. And I'm saying fighting because I know Carla talks a lot about the changes that we see that we need to make. And through this act of weaving and their craft, they are using their bodies to be part of this change, but it's just taking a different form, you know? And I also love that too, because it's like this natural restoration of strength. We're not relearning anything. I mean, they're not relearning anything. These techniques have been with them for ages, but I guess like what they're doing is they're using their bodies to teach us and unlearn a lot of what we thought was the way to do things. I like that natural cycle of just like reintroducing the body into something that then we all wear. Yeah, it kind of spoke to me. That kind of hits at a different spiritual level. You know, we all love our crystals today Mm -hmm. and sage and all of that. And this is another version of that through creating something and using our body to create it. But I don't think we've actually kind of acknowledged in fashion the same way as much as we're embracing, you know, the wellness industry, poof, sky's the limit, but how we relate to our world and the physical reactions we have to it is like a big topic and a big industry. And I think I'm curious to see if fashion will ever kind of acknowledge how the physical body through all stages of the creation of a garment to the wearer to after the garment is discarded, how that impacts our physical body and Mm. if we'll prioritize it. Or if, you know, the powers that be at capitalism will decide it's not uh, (laughs) an area to make money off of, but it's true. Yeah. Well, we love reflecting. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. And I think so much of what we talked about or reflected on had to do with like learning, evolution, defiance, conviction, truth, like staying true to ourselves. Oh my gosh, I keep doing this, but shout out to Stuzo. (laughs) And then I think you use this word and I love when you say it, like deconstructing. I think this all comes back to something that Lola pushed for at the beginning of this podcast, which is our tagline. You want to say it? Involving the style status quo. Yes. And we don't take that lightly because that is what they're doing. 
they're saying, all right, this is how things have been done. This is how things seem to continue to be done. And even if there isn't a roadmap to the ways in which I want things to be done, I can start putting down the pieces, putting down the tiles, hoping other people jump in. And I think a lot of what we talked about is just that we all can find our ways in which we enable that change and fashion business is just the way that they have. Shout out to all these brands. We obviously have learned so much and there's so much on our minds and like really grateful for the opportunity to do that. And we hope you also are enjoying these conversations and learning with us. And let's end on a word, Frankie. Oh my gosh. Okay. I think the word is reclaim. When people say, if you can't beat them, join them, you know, these brands actively don't do that. We wouldn't say they're trying to be anyone necessarily, but what they are doing is they're reclaiming. They're reclaiming space for themselves and for the people who are transporters, preservers, and vessels of culture. So they and we are not forgotten. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Oh, you're the best. Love you all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for exploring with us as we spent time with these four bomb global brands, all forging their own paths to shape our collective future. Our next and last theme for this season is materials. And we're going to be feeling these clothes. And let's just say decisions were made when it comes to materials used. Decisions that decorate our bodies. And it's going to be a time. See you there.